Hello, this is the One Fish podcast for people building high trust, self-responsible cultures which move fast and are genuinely uplifting places to work. I'm Carrie Beddingfield, I'm the founder of One Fish Two Fish, and in this podcast I will be in conversation with my One Fish colleagues and our extended team to bring the concepts we use every day in our work into focus, from self-organizing to agile meetings, and from culture hacking to beauty and business. Watching the One Fish Comms webinar series, Friction Free. I'm your host, Carrie Beddingfield, and in this series, we talk about finding and removing the friction that slows good people down from doing their best work. With me today is Nick Himovich, member of our extended team at One Fish Two Fish and creator of a series of very powerful workshops on productivity and collaboration. Welcome, Nick. Hello, thank you very much for having me, Carrie. Really looking forward to speaking with you. And Nick, you say that the biggest issue facing companies today isn't the competition, but it's what's going on in our heads. So let's start there. What is going on in our heads, Nick? (laughs) Absolutely. I think, well, I think it's important to to go back uh, at least a, a few hundred years and we look at how like work was structured. Work was a lot more about, well, it was a lot more physical. So you could see how people were doing it. Um, and you could help um, you could help people see better ways that they could improve or ways that they could do it better. Um, nowadays, most of us are knowledge workers, and so in this scenario, it's a lot more difficult to see how people are working and find ways to improve it. Um, so, something that I, I really enjoy doing is trying to kind of find ways to um, help people understand the processes that they're going through because they might not even understand them, and help them find ways that they can make them better. So. Um, that might be, for example, um, email, something we do every day. We, we, we've got certain ways to do it, but other people might be doing it totally differently. And we don't, and they might not be completely stressed out about, but, about the way that they use it, but we're totally stressing out. So why is it that, that we are, but they're not? And how can we improve it? So um, that's, that's, what, that's just one part of that. That's really interesting. And if we, if we just stick on email for a moment, because I know it's such an issue for so many organisations. Um, a few years ago, I was so fed up with email that I, I gave it up entirely. So I wrote a blog about it. I turned my email off. I put an out of office on and I um, uh, essentially didn't use email for about two, two years. And one of my colleagues, um, Richard Stobart, um, who's um, going to be a, a speaker on this show in a few weeks he could not understand why I would need to turn it off because obviously there are some things we need to use emails for and he said you just ignore it if you don't want to see it you just ignore it and I was like I can't (laughs) and and actually now two years on I do use email but I treat the whole thing like my junk folder and I kind of feel the same I think as he did before which is well it comes and goes doesn't it and there are emails and I have to reply to some of them but it's it's lost its grip on me and I realized then it's my relationship to it not the tool itself is that is that something you see and how do you help people change their relationship to some of these tools definitely I think one of the biggest challenges now is that technology has created so many opportunities but equally it's created so many distractions for us Um, and one of the best things you can do is actually turn your notifications off for most people in large organizations or any organization you don't need to be constantly available um, in terms of you having your notifications and then pandering to every notification that you get, what I would recommend is that you turn them off 
and that you go and you go to, to your email when you're ready to do it. So that might be for some people, they might be able to check it twice a day or, or once a day. Other people might need to check more regularly, but I think it's important that you're the one setting that cadence rather than just letting people dictate what you should be doing. This is really dangerous because um, every time you're distracted by that little notification that comes up by, by an email, it's going to take you, like but some research says, 20 minutes to get back focused again into that kind of like state of flow where you're doing your best work and um, you're feeling your best at the same time. So my recommendation is to turn off those notifications. That's, that's the first thing that I suggest. And then set up your own um, kind of, uh, yeah, cadence of how often you go back to check them. That would be the first thing that I'd suggest to really help with that. So looking at this through the lens of an organisation which is trying to create optimum conditions in which the really expensive people that they've spent a lot of time and money hiring um, and who are supposed to be great at their jobs, um, let's talk about how organisations can create conditions for people to succeed. This series is all about removing friction. Mm. How how do companies view this as a sort of company-wide issue? I think, first of all, it's really important to create a culture of feedback where people can openly discuss what helps them do their best work. So regularly um, having meetings um, or kind of sharing information around how the organisation wants to do things is really important. And then getting input from people in the organisation, because people have a lot of frustrations in an organisation. If they can share them with the organisation and feel that it's listening, that's a really good start. Then if they can um, come up with best practices together so that they can equally go within the organisation and say, this is how we want to work with each other, that's going to be really good because they're going to feel more part of it. And um, then if they can feel free to be kind of sharing how they're doing against those best practices that they're creating with each other, that's going to help create that culture of where people feel comfortable um, in the way that they work and feel comfortable sharing how they want to work with each other. Because there's nothing worse than, for example, you're regularly getting, I know we're talking about emails a lot, but it's just so annoying when you get a certain type of response. For example, um, subject subject lines on emails that people don't update and then they go into this huge um, email chain that's just really annoying. Or people that um, send an email and then immediately call you afterwards say, oh, did you get my my email, for example? Yeah, my mum does that. (laughs) It's really frustrating. And it's nice to be able to speak to your coworkers and say, look, um, you know that thing, could, 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 did you know that, that, that we could maybe do it this way? Or do you know that that's maybe not the, the best way that I like to do it? Can we talk about that a little bit? And for them to be able to take that feedback and then have a, a nice discussion, I think that's a really important start. So it sounds like um, when it comes to the, co- the technical content of our work, like how we run our machines or how we um, draft a legal contract if we're a law firm, all of those things are overtly discussed because they are the acknowledged tangible content of our work. What goes unacknowledged or undiscussed and improved are some of the softer systems, the softer infrastructure, um, which would include, we talked about uh, email. Um, you and I have also talked about meetings in the past. Yeah. Meetings in my yes. um, <laughs> what, what else would come under that banner of soft infrastructure that can slow people down and which we don't talk about enough? Definitely. I think growth mindset is a a really interesting one that I'd like to talk about a little bit here Mm. Uh, because there's a lot of research out there to suggest that uh, individuals that have got what's called a growth mindset, um, which was created by Carol Dweck, are more likely to be successful 
they're more likely to be able to overcome challenges um, better and they're more likely to be to flourish just just in general so um, I spend a lot of work teaching organizations to help them understand uh, help their employees understand what the difference is between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how they can develop um, yeah tell, tell us what what is the difference okay so in um, a fixed mindset your general or your underlying belief is that your intelligence and your capabilities are static and they can't be developed um, whereas that's there's it's quite a big difference in the growth mindset you believe that your intelligence and um, uh, capabilities can be developed through hard work and practice um, it's, it seems quite like a basic distinction and it seems quite obvious um, but actually it has profound impacts on the way that you uh, behave and work because uh, for example, if you believe that you're um, not able to um, improve and, and learn and grow, you're more likely to avoid challenges um, and you're more likely to give up in the face of any obstacles that come up. Um, you're less likely to put effort in because, well, it, if you can't improve, what's the point of me even trying? And then um, in terms of uh, criticism from others, uh, you probably just ignore it and you probably take it personally because you feel like people are criticising you rather than what you're doing. And um, you, you probably don't like so much the success of others because um, you, you probably feel a little bit threatened by it because you, you're not as good as them and they're better than you and there's nothing that you can do about it. Whereas um, if you've got a growth mindset, your um, response to these kind of um, situations is quite different. You're more likely to um, like challenges. You see that as a really important growth to, uh, path to learning. Um, your um, obstacles you just see as steps to to growing to being what you need to be and um effort again is just um a part of the journey like you know that that's just what you need to do to get to where you want to be um criticism criticism you love it because you're hearing people are giving you feedback and on how to improve um and then finally the success of others and this is one that i really like as well is that when you see someone doing something really special you think to yourself, wow, that's amazing. That's inspiration for me. How can I make that happen? How can I do that? And so organizations where their employees um, are more in that growth mindset um, place, they're more likely to um, get better outcomes and uh, produce better work from, from, from the, um, from my experience, but also from the research of Carol Dweck, who's, who came up with the concept. And how, um, what determines whether, a person in an organization has a fixed mindset or a growth mindset well actually i just want to jump in very quickly though and also i think it's really important to understand that um it's really easy i think to misconstrue it as black and white mm. and the people are the growth mindset people right mindset people i've been studying growth mindset for the past four years i've been really really interested in it and helping organizations develop it um i still find areas where i have a fixed mindset yeah and Actually, yeah, I recognise that. Yeah, <laughs> I can think, and I am absolutely a kind of oh, the more effort, the better. And there are areas of my life where I think, yeah, that's definitely a fixed mindset there. Definitely, definitely. And what what can be what I find is that it can be quite painful when mm. you realise that you've got a fixed mindset in your life, and that actually, uh, or in a certain area of your life, and there are parts of parts of what you're doing you can feel quite growth mindset, but then you can actually go back into a fixed mindset. So there are different areas of our lives. It could be the work at work in, in, in yeah in, in the office or what we're doing there. It could be like in our health. It could be in our um, uh, in our eating. In our you know in 
in the relationships that we have, our personal relationships. So it's quite difficult to be super growth mindset on each one of those areas. Mm. If you are trying to find all the challenges that you can get to grow, trying to like, you know, you're inspired by all these great um, um, people that are doing great work and that you're listening to all the feedback um, and you're trying to find putting as much effort as you can to grow and learn as much as you can at work. That probably means that you might, you're not going to have as much energy and effort to be able to put into all those other areas of life. So it's a balance, it's a bit of a balance or at least like a harmony that you've got to get between them. And so it's like, it'd, be, it'd be overwhelming to take a, a high growth mindset approach to every aspect of your life. And sometimes I wonder if perhaps that's the situation I'm in. Um, and that is, it can be deeply, deeply rewarding and completely overwhelming. Um, definitely, definitely. So it's about picking, picking your battles. So I just wanted to, to, to of mention. Course. Yeah. So, so then if we think about organisations, I'm sure people listening to this will be thinking, it's very easy to be a bit judgy around this, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, all my people, they're definitely, all those people in that department over there, they're really fixed mindset. Um, and what role does the culture of the organisation play in, in whether people are able to adopt a fixed or a growth mindset in certain situations at work? I think it helps a lot if the leadership are really backing this concept. I know a lot of organisations which are really supporting it. Um, so a lot of le- like high profile leaders talk about growth mindset a lot. Bill Gates is a massive fan of it. Richard Branson is. Um, I know a lot of um, um, uh, like people in the ba- uh, banking se- um, and uh, financial services industries, top leaders are really uh, supporters of it. So I think making sure that the top management are really advocating the concept of growth mindset is really important Um, it's kind of a counter to the to the idea of being experts isn't it so if you're an you know we especially in things like banking very technical industries highly regulated industries we really value the experts but if you're an expert presumably you have to grow to get there but the implication is now you know everything you need to know yeah one of the two are sort of there's a tension between the two i like to think of it as making the expert more expert Mm, nice that's that's what we're trying to achieve with the growth mindset and that's that's i've I've used that kind of approach in a lot of the workshops that i've created um because you you, i'm trying to move away from like a parent-child relationship where me as a facilitator or trainer i know everything and i'm teaching you things that you don't know what i'm trying to do is go in and say you already know a lot what we're trying to do here is help you move from already being an expert to being even more of an expert and i think that kind of mindset shift going into um the way that you develop your staff is really important. Mm. And can, can we roam around here just for a little bit? Yeah. So, so I, I had an interesting paradox this time last year, um, running a series of workshops for a really forward thinking technology company and, and in particular with a, um, a, a youngish team. And my expectation when I ran that is, you know, they're all kind of millennially Gen Y, um, you know, in their sort of 20s, maybe early 30s. And I thought, if I go in and tell them all what to do, they're going to be like, you j- just stop you right there. <laughs> we know all this stuff. And actually, it was the opposite they we we did a very kind of um, collaborative workshop and in the end they got really frustrated and were like you're the expert just tell us what to do and as I thought more about it I thought I wonder if there's something about that generation are used to reading anything they want they just look up a YouTube video which I, mean, I do the same you need to fix the toilet get a YouTube video <laughs> then yeah. uh, you know, whatever you need that knowledge is available somewhere um, and also all you know endless articles on you know six steps to achieving a six pack in six weeks um, and I realized is it that they want to kind of learn by bullet points have they lost that 
understanding of mastery and skill and I wonder what you think I think it's yeah I, I can I can totally see what they were saying though around the idea of you're the expert I just we just want to hear how how to do it I, th- I think it and I totally agree as well with this idea of um, now we've got knowledge on demand like knowledge isn't a problem but actually mm. being able to use the application yeah we need to work on um, so um, it's, it's an interesting one um, I'm not sure which I'm not sure which way to best take this to be honest um, to... so so how um, I guess you, you start you're telling me about how organizations could tackle this um, as a kind of company-wide approach and one is have the leadership team clearly champion it um, have, have them t- talk about it do it show that they're on a growth path um, start to knock down that idea that oh well there are senior experts and then there are junior people who are learning so that's one way to tackle it um, what else should organizations be doing I think it's really important that um, that information can flow really easily around the company because yeah. for example um, what te- what often can happen is more junior people are the ones that are closest to the to the um, to the customer, and the more senior people might be the furthest away from the customer. So I think organisations that want to flourish in the future um, are ones where they're really listening to the um, people that are closest to the customer and getting their feedback and trying to implement it as much as possible. Particularly in an age where you've got companies like Amazon where so much of it is online and it's digital, but even they are moving into the kind of face-to-face world with our acquisitions that they're making now with um, uh, Whole Foods, for example. So, yeah, I think in the future there are going to be fewer um, uh, customer service staff because most of the um, sales process will be done online. But I do think that in those um, areas where it's always going to be blended, it's never going to be 100% online, there's still going to be face-to-face interactions because that's how you create a better, fuller experience for for, for customers and I think that um, organizations that can tap that and make sure that they're really listening to their employees who are working directly with customers is going to be really important so free sorry so well free. And, and learning from customers you know listening to customers is nothing new and yet we know that people don't do it very well so mm-hmm. they listen but they're not listening yeah um, um, and whenever I see something that says kind of have your say either to a customer or to an employee in my head that just shouts we're trying to show we're listening but we're not really <laughs> so yeah. what have you what have you seen or what advice would you give organizations who really genuinely want to to absorb and use the data from those closest to the customer and the customer themselves what are that what does that actually look like well there's a few different ways that you can do it one way is for example the the senior leader i think making sure that he's getting more involved and, and saying it regularly because I think it's the kind of thing where it gets said a little bit, but then the leader gets a bit um, bored of repeating themselves and that doesn't say it anymore. So I think you've got to be, you've got to continue it and make sure that people are regularly knowing that it's important because if you stop saying it, they go, Oh, we're not doing that anymore. So that's one thing. Um, I think having regular, regular uh, meetings where you can get people to share their thoughts and having direct contact between like more leaders and frontline staff is really important. Um, I, I was, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. He talks about this concept of having three minute conversations with like new members of staff, even though he's got like quite a lot of employees. Um, he's, he thinks like a three minute conversation is going to help um, 
create more kind of a bond between different members of uh, between him and the staff, uh, which I think is really important, uh, which I don't see other senior leaders do as much. Um, the other thing is then, of course, to have the systems. Um, I I think that you don't you need to have some kind of system where people can log the information. I depending on how big the company is, I think Slack is a great way to do that for smaller companies. But then for larger organisations, there's there, there's um, like other ways that they can do that, perhaps. Mm. And then just going back to this, so we talked about um, how organisations can can make visible and tangible improve some of the, the invisible ways that they're working that are, are creating friction and from there we went into talking about a growth mindset and the kind of frame of mind and, and belief system you need to make that possible just going back to some of those ways of working you mentioned the word flow <laughs> so talk to me about flow what we, we, we kind of know what that word is but we don't really know what it means so what yeah. is, does it mean so flow is this kind of like really optimal state of like being when you're feeling your best and you're working your best essentially particularly in a work context um there are there are a few conditions to flow that are really important um the first one is that you have knowledge you know exactly what you're doing um the next one is that you've got the capabilities you know how to do it the third part is around um um, it's a it's a challenge because if it's too easy, you're just going to switch off. Because a lot of the time, there are things that we can do every day that we know how to do, so we know what to do, and we know how to do it. But it's just so easy that it's just like you just you're just in 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 going through the motions, but you're not really in the zone. Um, also, the the fourth bit is around feedback, which is um, as you're doing something, you know whether you're doing it well. Um, so you might think of it as um, if you're, uh, if you're giving a presentation, you can see on the people's faces as you're talking, whether they're engaged or not. So you've got real-time feedback on whether you're doing a good job. Um, and then the last one is around focus, which is that you're not getting distracted by what you're doing. This is huge because we're all getting distracted hundreds of times a day. Um, so one thing that I really like to do is, we'll talk about phones a lot because our phones are constantly distracting us. And I think some of the best things people do, first of all, is turn off notifications. I think two, delete um, as many apps as possible that they're not using. I'd say three, make your phone home screen black. Get rid of anything shiny because your phone is designed to, be, um, to take your attention. Mm. Apple and Google have spent millions on making their phones addictive right that because that, they want you to come back they've got the um these rates that they're trying to get of uh, like people coming back and, and stickiness of their apps well stickiness is just like addictiveness so if you're in a large organization and you know that your employees are constantly checking their phones they're wasting a lot of time because they're being distracted and it's taking them time to get back into the flow that's what we want to remove we want to remove the friction there so mm -hmm. little things like um well trying to make your phone as le as as unsticky as possible is, is the best thing that you can do and so a lot of things I teach people is how they can do that with their phones they just don't realize it um, and often what they do is they make it even stickier by putting photos of their loved ones or their favorite quotes on their back and, and that's that's terrible because that's actually going to make you go back to it more so one thing in terms of increasing flow is making your phone a lot less desirable um, it's going to really really help you that's so interesting that's so interesting because as you were saying about the apps I was like yeah but you keep your photo of your loved one. You keep your photo of your cat, though, don't you? <laughs> no, like I'll, I'll show you right now. My my phone screen um, looks like that. 
Right. I've got, I've got, I tried to have tools at the top. I've got um, like the, the main tools here. And then um, I've just got a phone. And I, at the moment I've got my email there, but I'm, I should be moving that. I'm doing a little bit of experimentation. And another thing that I do is that now I've got it in black and white. So I literally just go one, right. two, and that changes to color to black and white because the colors like I have got on my WhatsApp, I have got no, I have got notifications and that shiny color there, that's red because red gets our attention. Yeah. And so by going one, two, three on there, I can actually um, get rid of that and make it black and white. That makes it much less interesting and much less likely than I'm going to like, click on it because when you see that red notification, you get this hit of dopamine. You're like, oh, this is exciting. I need to press on that and see what's going to be coming next. But it's in, in most cases, that distracts us and takes us away from being in that, that zone or in that um, state mm. of play. So I think that is a huge thing to work on. And just exploring through an organisational lens, how do people feel about their employer hiring you to tell them not to use their phones at work? <laughs> <laughs> So I think you've got to be really careful about the way that you um, send the message. Um, what I try to do is not be um, kind of forcing people to do it this way. I'm just saying, here's another possible way that we could do it here. Like it's, and I talk about the benefits that I've got from it. Um, and that it's not about doing everything that I've said and just copying exactly the processes that I've got. Um, what I'm trying to do is share lots of different things and then they can take from it the things that they think are, are useful. Like a library, I'm sh showing them the whole, all of the books. They can just pick the ones that they think are relevant for them. And in most cases, that goes down pretty well. Yeah, and I guess none of us are happy about the situation of uh, feeling so sucked into our phones. Um, but we pro it's a bit like a bit like a diet, isn't it? Or, or our eating habits. None of us want to eat junk junk food or food that isn't isn't good for us. But we probably don't want anyone else to tell us. Yeah, it's absolutely shouldn't shouldn't do. But it's good if people educate us and give us choices. Definitely. Um, did you see on the BBC, I saw on the BBC recently? I think it's eighty percent of people. Um, it might be ninety percent. Okay are doing at least one of the top five things that we shouldn't be doing for our health. So basically 90% of people are not as like are, are unhealthy because yeah. they're doing one of the top five things they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So it's absolutely the case. And that's why I think I'm, it's really important to be careful in the way that you present the information. And it's definitely like not forcing and just uh, presenting. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so what else do you cover when you work with organizations on so getting getting phones under turning your phone yeah what other sorts of areas do you help organizations yeah definitely so friction i think friction free um mm. i think is 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 a really important thing that you're trying to move towards here and so um what some of the key well people spend most of their time at work in meetings or sending emails um if, particularly when they're in larger organizations um so what I, what I spend a lot of time is helping people have better quality meetings. And a lot of that is around going, well, what's the best practice that we're not doing? Um, that's, that's a huge part of it. And the other part of it is applying concepts that I think, again, are, are very widely known, but I think um, people have not been using, like the Six Thinking Hats by Edward de Bono. Um, I feel like um, he's such a big name. And for the 10 to 20% of people I speak to, 
they're like, yeah, of course I know Edward Bono. But honestly, 80 to 90% of people I speak to every day, they haven't heard of it and they haven't heard of his or heard of him and they haven't heard of his processes. So I, I personally have seen firsthand that it can make a massive difference to an organisation. And tell us, so, so Edward, Edward, Edward Bono, all this will be on the show notes, um, yeah. thinking hats, what, what are they and how can you use them? Okay, what um, Edward de Bono says is that, well, my interpretation actually is that you've kind of got this spaghetti going on in your head of like information and knowledge and stuff that's going through things that you have to do um, and messages from other people. And what I think is really important and what Edward de Bono kind of talks about is this idea of separating different um, types of thinking or different types of action as well into different buckets. And by separating out or pulling, it's almost like untangling um, the spaghetti or untangling like a headphones like imagine you've got like a, a headphone in your head that the, the cable is completely tied up and what his process does is it unties it and it does this by separating different types of thinking or different types of actions into six um, buckets so um, one of them is around he gives them each colors and he calls them hats and that you can take off one hat and put, off, put on a different hat and this is the idea around um, well the first one that it's in no particular order but um it's a kind of a strategic type of thinking where you're deciding what needs to be done what um what, what your objectives um what are maybe the next steps of whatever kind of um issue you're working on um then you've got another one around kind of information so what information is available to you what data do you have um what is uh, the current situation in terms of the facts then you've got this one around uh, feelings and emotion and intuition so what's your gut feeling on a topic uh, that's something we don't share enough in organizations we tend to cover it up as the facts rather than saying this is mm. my feeling around the situation then the next one is around kind of creativity and coming up with ideas designing new solutions um, another one is around um, critical thinking so what are the problems with certain ideas what are the difficulties why are they going to go wrong and then the, th the last one is around um, positive thinking around the benefits. It's so much fun when I share these different types of thinking with organisations because what we're trying to do is get everybody to use the same type of thinking at the same time. At the same time, this is quite an abstract idea, but simply by understanding the difference between those types of thinking, and then being able to um, explain to people what um, that which type of thinking we'll be using is a great start. Because it's so annoying when you're having a meeting and you're coming up with lots of ideas, you're in a state of flow and you're, you, you know, we've all been there, we're bouncing ideas and it's like, oh yeah, we could do this, oh, we could do this, oh, and that would be so great if we did this on top. And it's really frustrating when someone in the meeting is creating friction by criticising the ideas when you're actually in a very early stage of the process, when you're just trying to um, come up with ideas, because it really puts a dampener on it and so that stops flow. So what I do is help organisations understand this process and understand how they can remove friction from meetings by doing everyone being in the kind of the same mode. By being in the same mode, using the same type of thinking and action at the same time, they're more likely to get better results, be in a state of flow and um, achieve things much faster than they would if they didn't. And so that could be simple in terms of um, what that looks like in, in real life after they've done a session on it. That could be making sure that every meeting has clear objectives at the beginning and they're agreed at the, either before the meeting or at the very beginning of the meeting that it can be um be clear on uh, what the um kind of um uh, situation is in terms of like the information that's available or having someone prepare a presentation that collects the information so everyone is on the same page it might then be also making sure that when you're coming up with ideas everyone knows that this is 
this session is to come up with ideas and that it's not about criticizing and, and, and people or the facilitator or the person running the meeting is clear that we're just generating ideas we're not about criticizing them at stage and then getting to a stage when actually yeah after we've come up with the ideas that the person running the meeting is clear that yeah so what are the risks and challenges and then also being clear about what the benefits are and giving people an opportunity to do that it's so much fun seeing the energy and um the the way the meeting goes when people are invited to actually say the, the benefits of an idea because mm. there's so much organizations where we're, we're kind of worried about and making sure that the organization is safe but we're criticizing ideas which means that we're not letting it grow we're not we're not we're not um, we're stifling it in some ways which is I can see that's really important sometimes, but equally there are other times we need to focus on how you can, um, what the benefits of ideas are and what the positives could be, because that's going to help them grow. That's going to be the energy and the drive to help them move forward, which is so important with innovation and doing new things as an organisation. So um, that's how I think the six thinking hats like works. That's what it is. And that's how I think it relates to the idea of removing friction and and increasing flow in organisations. Wonderful. And Nick, final question. If you were um, uh, in conversation with an organisation who felt, who, who perhaps had come out of a more traditional style of organisation, things like Slack, totally unfamiliar, um, many people who were hired to do a job, never really wanted to do, to grow or do a different job, very happy doing the job they were doing, the, the world around them is changing and somehow they need to um, shift into some of these new ways of working. What kinds of things would you be um, advising them to think about and do? Well, I think it's really important. (laughs) This is such a basic piece of advice, but I think it's really important that everyone knows that um, going back to this idea of knowledge being freely available, that they can do that at work, not just at home. Most people at, at home, if they don't know something, they'll go onto YouTube or they'll go onto Google. But why is it that at work, a lot of people get to work and they don't do that? They call up IT and say, oh, um, uh, my computer's not working. They don't go to Google to say, how can I fix this issue? So I think encouraging people to get into that mindset is really important to, first of all, try and solve the problems themselves through using Google, using YouTube. I know that's really simple, but there's so many people in organizations that aren't doing that first step. And then I think encouraging this kind of culture of peer-to-peer learning is really important as well. And getting um, employees to be able to show each other um, how to do things is really good too Mm -hmm. once they've done that first step. Because things like Slack, it might be a little bit overwhelming at first, but actually if you can just get someone to spend a couple of minutes showing you how they use Slack, that's going to help open up the world of Slack to you because that's all I think it really takes. Someone showing you for 10 or 15 minutes how they use it, that's going to enable you to do it too. So I think those, those, those two things are, are really important. Wonderful. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the Friction Free webinar series. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you. <laughs> Massive pleasure. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to this One Fish podcast. I hope you found the conversation thought-provoking and perhaps it raised some questions or puzzles or thoughts for you about your business or organisation. If you hear anything in these podcasts that sparks your interest, tweet us at onefishcoms or you can even book a call straight into my diary if you think we should be talking. All the details, plus all the references to books, people, concepts or anything else we touched on are in the show notes below.